You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. We're getting into subjective territory here, but... But there's a lot of great Motley Crue songs, but there's some shitty ones too. There's some shitty ones too. And but you know, listen, Motley Crue, they de- they they deserve credit for writing the great songs they've written. Um, it's I don't give a fuck what those guys think about us as a band. I do think it's funny that they that they feel the need to go head to head with us sometimes. We're gonna win every fucking time. I mean, listen, if those guys have ever listened to us, we're a way better band live than them. And we'll we'll beat them in a in a battle of the bands any day of the week. And I will totally um, if Tommy Lee wants to fist fight me, I'll I'll clock him. All of my friends out there, you guys got your pencils. You got something to write on. You got some brains ready to be blown, like in Back to the Future when Marty comes back and blows his brains out of his dad because he's dressed like Darth Vader and he plays some Eddie Van Halen. But well, we don't have Eddie, but we have a guitar player that, in my mind, is one of the greatest players, people, musicians, funniest dudes on the planet, and certainly, certainly a humble, great guy when it comes down to the brass tacks. This week, we have Satchel from Steel Panther. I'm sure most yeah. people that listen to Steel Panther were like, that's not how I would have introduced him, <laughs> but that's how I feel it was, about it. It was quite a monumental introduction as well, but you haven't even introduced yourself nor any of your cohorts, so perhaps we that's, should go to that because, as well. That's because I'm high, and it's been like one of those fucking mornings, but I, I'm Benny Goodman. I'm here with my cohorts, as we've officially dubbed um, ourselves, Siobhan Cronin. Hello. And Corey Peza. I'm just glad to be here. But especially, especially this week, uh, because yeah, we get to talk to Satchel, which is, it's kind of like talking to your favorite cartoon character. That is such a great way of describing it. I was trying to think of how to explain it to other people. And that is spot on. Obviously an incredibly talented person who most people just know as this goofy guy on stage that plays this kick-ass music, but we get to talk to the real real Satchel. Motley Crue. Motley Crue has been saying that these guys aren't real musicians for a long time. Like the Motley, namely Nikki Six, yeah. has been shitting on Steel Panther because here's the truth of it. What happened was when Steel Panther first formed, they went on tour with Motley Crue. And Motley Crue's audience loved it because if you know the Steel Panther shtick, it's kind of like an 80s review, but with real music that could have been written. It's like historical fiction 80s music. But Nikki Six didn't like the joke. Because he thought that they were making fun of him. Kind of like those musicians that didn't like, you know, Spinal Tap when it first came out. Because it hit a little too close to home. (laughs) Motley Crue thinks it's a joke. But the joke is, in my opinion, that Steel Panther has 8,000 times the actual talent playing that Motley Crue, certainly vocally. um, Now, (laughs) at least. Um, Satchel gets into this. We talk about this in the episode, you know. Well, my favorite thing, and and he he didn't mention it, but like, if you go and look at the little Twitter war, the tweets back and forth from Nikki Six and uh, Satchel about, you know, whatever it is that they're talking about. Um, Satchel then writes, Nikki Six plays bass. That's all I read from the whole thing was Nikki Six, <laughs> like as a question, which I thought was hilarious because I didn't even realize that Nikki Six played bass either. But then I realized, because I'm on The Neurotic Guitarist, if you haven't seen it, youtube.com slash The Neurotic Guitarist, I, I do a little thing called uh, Bass Players That Matter. And I realized I need to do one on Nikki Six because he's a bass player that matters because he wrote, he, he worked on Shout the Devil. He worked on Home Sweet Home, but he still sucks at bass. So it's a bass <laughs> player matters. that matters that sucks. It's a pretty low bar for bassist, to be honest. Yeah. But anyways, if you, wanna, if you want to learn a little bit about how uh, Satchel, you know, formed Steel Panther and, and like how that band, which has now become this crazy international success, you know, which started as, as basically a, a cover band. It's, it's a pretty crazy story. Metal school. Metal school. Yeah. 
it's so this in, this interview is really fun and Satchel gets a little deeper than you might expect. So it's pretty interesting to hear his. Well, uh, his and he thoughts. says that Apple Music and Spotify are evil for musicians, but they're really great for podcasters, and we love them. <laughs> so don't stop listening to us on Apple Podcasts. Well, would you, would you say that it's kind of like? tantamount to like chemotherapy that it's saving your life but at the same time kind of killing you slowly i wouldn't say that at all but sure why not <laughs> <laughs> anyways let's just get we'll let satchel explain <laughs> all right this is part one with the uh the phenomenally talented uh satchel on 2020 17 jokes in a row Welcome, everyone. This is 2020. My name's Corey Peza. I'm here with my fellow host, as always, uh, Siobhan Cronin. Hey. And Benny Goodman. Woo. And a <laughs> very special welcome to the man with impeccable clapping rhythm, Satchel of Steel Woo. Panther fame. Woo! And for anyone is- that's, that's not watching the video, though, you have to tune into the video to see all of his amazing guitars <laughs> yes. and the hair. and like So the visual is super important, by the way. It really is. We should have hired a bunch of people to come in and take off their, their shirts and show their tits so that we have like a full-blown Steel Panther experience. Benny, don't think I won't show my tits. My <laughs> Please tits. do. It's amazing. <laughs> we, got, we have a couple hours to fill, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, well, we, my husband and I pre-gamed this by listening to a bunch of Steel Panther songs, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sort of curious, before we start this all off, Siobhan, what do you think about Steel Panther? Because, so, so that Satchel understands, like, we subject Siobhan to all kinds of things, and when I say subject, I mean, she's not naturally listening to Testament, you know what I mean? So we're like, hey, Siobhan, this week, go tre- check out Steel Panther, we kind of say nothing. And now I'm curious. So, Siobhan, when you sat down and listened to Steel Panther, how did you feel? Amazing. I felt super pumped up. And I like, you know, I also spent a lot of the drive today listening to some interviews you've done already. And it's just like so refreshing to hear music that's just saying what you think. And it's, it almost <laughs> feels like kind of Broadway-esque to me, like some of the like melodies and the harmonies. And it just feels like I'm like in a Broadway show. I can just like see it in my head without even watching a video. So it's very like cinematic to me, just the music itself. Super cool. Is that what you intended, Satchel? You know what? I just lost the audio for the entire thing that she just oh, said. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. She basically said that she's in love with you and that if you're willing this just to like, run away. I have a nickel for every time I've heard that. <laughs> you have a nickel back. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, so, Siobhan, why don't you rephrase the question for him? Oh, so yeah, he, Benny was asking what I thought about Steel Panther, and I was just saying I listened to some of it for, for the first time this week, and I felt like super pumped up. It was just so cool to hear like great melodies, and like just I love how, you know, the lyrics are just, everything's like fun and funny and upbeat, and it just yeah. felt like very Broadway-esque to me, you know? Like for some reason, some of the, I don't know, like the melodies and the harmonies and like people singing together, it just felt very Satchel like- Satchel and Sondheim go so well together. Yes. I appreciate that because it was it was written originally for Broadway. Oh, awesome! Okay, yeah. I totally heard that, and I was like, "That sounds so cool." He's not, he's not Broadway material. He's more like off off Broadway. Uh huh. <laughs> like off off Broadway. <laughs> There's got to be something in the works, on, on you know, after after this next tour when uh, COVID's over. Oh yeah, you know what? But why not? You know, I mean, it's just. We're going to make as much money as we can in as short a time as, as possible because we never know when the government's going to shut down again. Oh, We're gosh, just, yeah. I'm going to actually, uh, I'm going to be in Steel Panther. I'm also going to do some side projects. Like I have a side project probably haven't told you about. I'm going to be a hooker as well. Oh, oh nice. Okay. What, like what, a, a what, U.S. What, hooker or are you going to go abroad? Like try and get some of the European business? Uh, you know what? I, I'm willing to travel as a hooker, um, but I'm really just... I, I just look for people who wear Rolexes, you know? Yeah, just like the highest bidder. Mostly dudes, because women, you know, they're not willing, they feel, I don't know what it is. I think there's more guilt involved. Men are just like, you know what, you got a strong jawline, son. Come back here and <laughs> I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> well, I'm very Perfect. confused, because when I talked to your drummer, Sticks, he told me that he was your manager. So does that make him your pimp? Yeah, well, you know, he's, he's technically not a pimp. <laughs> so what would be the technical term? He does become a pimp when, when he sells me for sex. 
So yeah, I mean, I guess technically he does. So he's take, not a closer. He does it. We do that with Lexi all the time. Though. Lexi is, I mean, Lexi gets a lot of dudes and, and, you know, a lot of women are attracted to him mostly just because they want makeup t- tips and shit like that. But I mean, listen, these are musicians, you know, it's, t- it's you gotta do whatever you can for money and, and uh, we're willing to sell ourselves out anytime we get a chance to. Before we get into the real deep stuff, you know, this being 2020, uh, how has yourself and Steel Panther been handling this this year of craziness? Well, I mean, I, 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 for me personally, it's 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 been the shittiest year, I think, in in my, probably definitely in the shittiest year of my music career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because how could it get any shittier? I mean, like, it's Don't bad. say that, man. Don't say that. There's still time. <laughs> How could it get any shittier? Oh, let's think of some scenarios there, Satchel. <laughs> it's probably, it's probably going to get shittier before January 1st, right? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I mean, just as far as being musicians go, it's, it's, uh, almost, it's pretty much impossible to make a buck at this point. Well, but, dude, what are you going to do? Next thing you're going to tell me Eddie Van Halen died. And then it's just going to be like, what the fuck? Too soon, Benny. Too soon. Too soon. I'm wearing a Van Halen shirt, by the way. Oh boy. I, I RIP. That, no, that to be honest, and and I know this uh, about uh, Satchel. He's a big Van Halen fan, but like I, I have to say that the reason I play guitar is, is because of Eddie Van Halen. And 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 honestly, you know, I, I make a little light of it, but it was um for me the hardest death since like my grandparent, my last grandfather died in 2004 was Eddie Van Halen because for me it was one of those things where like everything from David Lee Roth like yelling at me to get a pencil to like just Eddie Van Halen coming out like the left channel blowing my ear out while like the right channel's just thumping the bass like it was like the soundtrack to like when my brain decided to stop so like you know John Garabedi and the famous DJ said that your brain hardens at like 20 and you stop it's totally true I stopped at Van Halen just in time for for Sammy because I'm I'm still a Van Hagar guy I like it but after that, like I, I have no room in my heart like for anything else. So when he left, I felt like the world was just over for me, like officially. It's crushing. I mean, you know, it's it, it, everybody knew Van Halen. You didn't even have to be. I mean, it's, but it, obviously Eddie had a special place in every guitar player's heart. You know, when people say, "Hey, did Eddie Van Halen influence you?" Of course, Eddie Van Halen influenced everybody who plays guitar. Everybody, yeah. everybody who plays guitar, even who who maybe came before him. Like he's still in <laughs> Yeah. Because he was that much of a, he was, he was that cool stylistically. And, and he was such a great player and he had so much fire, like, you know, take away the technique and all the amazing songs and all that. He just had so much passion when he played, but he had, he, he nailed everything. So great. His rhythm playing was amazing. His style was amazing. His tone was amazing. His vibrato was amazing. He had t- all the techniques that, you know, that he was just, he was awesome. And then on top of it, he just made it look easy by smiling the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is what I love about the guitar world because I, so I'm a violinist and, you know, I come from classical music and, you know, we look up to both composers separately from performers, you know, so like. We're also not are- that tall, so that's not hard. <laughs> No, but it's so interesting because guitar players are so impressive to me because they both compose and they produce and they perform. So they're kind of like the whole package. Whereas for us, it's like, you know, if someone says, oh, who do you look up to? Well, it's like, well, there are certain composers that I love. And then there are certain performers of those composers music. And it's like two completely different worlds. So it's so cool to like study guitar players and where their influence came from. You know, it's kind of like everything all together. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think Eddie, you know, was one of those guys... Not not every guitar player who's a great guitar player is a great composer. Mm-hmm. I think they can all sing, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not. <laughs> I'll so- see the light tonight. That's I'm telling you, I still like you know I'm friends with Jeff. You know, I'm sure you guys know Jeff as well. Jeff Scott Soto, unbelievable. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. He was, I went and saw... Oh, he was in Trans-Siberian, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, that's, that's where I know him from, yeah. Yeah, she played in Trans-Siberian, so that makes sense. Yeah. He's an amazing singer. I saw him when I was 15. I went and saw Ingve, and he was singing, and he was he was awesome. He was he was so great. And I think he was only, like, 16. 
<laughs> like, was he also like seven feet tall? Because when I first saw him, maybe it's because I was younger, but I was just like, oh my gosh, this guy's a giant with a super powerful voice. Is that also how Ingve didn't push him out of the middle of the stage because he was so tall that like he actually took up more than than thirty percent of the stage? Oh, Jeff's Jeff's hair was seven feet tall back then. Absolutely, <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh my gosh, he's one of the best vocalists in rock, and he always has been. He doesn't get enough props, as far as I'm concerned. Jeff is an amazing singer and a really incredibly talented dude. Um, and, you know, Ingmay is insanely talented, too. I mean, just as a guitar playing, he deserves to be, you know, famous just for that. But but uh, but I noticed as a kid when, you know, when I would put in CDs, I, I would put in Van Halen in my car more than I would put in Ingbe. And then I, that started to dawn on me. Oh, why is that? Well, Ingbe is a great player. So is it Van Halen. But... I just liked, there were more great Van Halen tunes to me, just like there were more great ACDC songs. And so I always gravitated towards the compositions and the songs. And to me, that, you know, that was the difference. Because there was a lot of great lead guitar players in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who am I going to listen to while I'm going to Vons to get some top Rana? It's a, it's the frame that they're within, you know. It, you can be phenomenal, but if you're one of those guitarists that's just playing to some uh, some MIDI drums and a progression that you threw together to show off how fast you can play, then you, no one's gonna be able to repeatedly listen to you, and you're not gonna be able to gain any traction. Exactly, and then and then there were you know I remember when Poison came out, and I was like, I was like, no fucking way am I gonna fucking listen to this band. Fuck this. <laughs> Way. these guys suck if this is the future of music i'm fucking quitting and then they fucking blew up and i was like i was like fuck god damn it i, I said i was gonna quit music but i can't now <laughs> and then it started to dawn on me that that it didn't fucking matter that cc deville was not you know steve Vai or or Ingve. it didn't fucking matter the songs resonated with people and and i, I was like god i was wood shitting every day i was like Am I wasting my fucking time? <laughs> That's why I really got into songwriting. Just like, I'm going to write. You know, by the way, this is CC DeVille thing. So I saw Poison a few. Remember when you could see concerts? Remember that? Um, I saw <laughs> Poison live and I saw them not too long ago, like within the last three or four years. And I was blown away by how good CC DeVille is. Because now he kind of sounds like a, like a Randy Rhodes kind of thing. Like if Randy <laughs> Rhodes came back and tried to play in Poison and you're like, what? And it's like, Oh, well, he actually got better since 1986. He tried <laughs> and he succeeded. You know what I mean? And then like uh, he's like probably on Dr. Drew, like getting drug free or whatever. And you're like, well, that makes sense. He could have been good. There was just cocaine and Brett and, and Brett Michaels. And yeah, maybe he did more cocaine, and that's why I got better. Could be. <laughs> it's all about the fine balance of how much cocaine, how much sleep, and then how much like you know again ramen you have to take down. Like before, you can do it all over again. There is a balance, and it's not easy. It's not easy to judge where that is. It's different for everybody, you know. I don't know about violinists, but it is for for guitar players. You definitely have to have a lot of cocaine. There's a lot of. Co- <laughs> <laughs> I think for violinists, you have to have a lot of neurosis and childhood trauma, and that's just about all it takes. Well, cocaine will <laughs> induce neurosis if you do enough of it. If you yeah. don't sleep long enough. Trust me, like if you stay up for three or four days, like you're in Miami, you should know better than this. Like if you stay up for three or four days, everything is just pleasantly neat. You can stare at your wall and you're like, this this has got it going on. And that's no. just sleep deprivation. <laughs> Trust me, it's worth it. I don't know. <laughs> well, so going back, so Satchel, what, so we were talking about 2020. So what what's going on with you this year? What are you, you know, obviously we're not performing, people aren't touring. So what sort of projects are keeping you busy right now? Well, um, I've been watching a lot of porn. All right. Any any suggestions? Pornhub <laughs> <laughs> because they just took down so many unsolicited, so unauthorized videos that it's kind of a waste of time now. Okay. <laughs> Do you would you would you say that that's tantamount to when they took down the casual encounters on on Craigslist because there were so many things you could have done with casual encounters and now it's like nah you can't. There's no way you can meet the girl that wants you just like to wear the Mighty Mouse outfit and just, you know, come into like the Batman, but the Adam West Batman theme song and just like do it from behind. That was Craigslist casual encounters. Now like, you found all the people like giving the right porn because they were the amateurs, but they're the amateurs with the really weird handles. And that's all gone now. And I feel like what's the point of having an, an Internet connection if you can't do those two things? 
kind of great. Yeah, took all the fun of it. Looking, looking beyond then, uh, you know, since this year has been filled with uh, depressing music, lack of music and porn watching, uh, what's, what's, what's in the future for Satchel and, uh, and Steel Panther at the moment? Well, you know, I, I, for me personally, you know, Steel Panther, we're just going to keep on rocking until we die. You know, I mean, that could be very soon. You never know. <laughs> right. We're all at the high risk. Our singer's overweight. He's got co- comorbidities. And uh, any one of us could die from, from COVID or any other disease or just straight up alcohol poisoning. You know, so, <laughs> but keep on rocking. I think that, you know, if you're really a true musician, that's that's the fucking goal. You're just going to keep on creating music and keep on rocking until you fucking keel over. And, you know, I don't really give a fuck what happens after that. I mean, I don't I don't expect, you know, a bunch of people to show up at my funeral. I just, you know, I'm just going to keep on writing bitching songs about blowjobs and anal sex until I can't do it anymore. As long as I, I feel I can, I can write another song that, that is fun to listen to. We're going to keep on putting out records and keep on doing, I mean, the, the, the shitty thing right now is, you know, a lot of people who aren't musicians don't know this, but most people do records on their own dime now. And, you know, you can still get a record deal, but even if you get a record deal, it's, you're really just, it's a bank loan. <laughs> yeah. Got to pay that shit back. Right. You're getting <laughs> fucked. I'm <laughs> from a shitty bank. So it's better to just pay for your records on your own or do it in your own house. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we're doing. And we always spend a little bit of money on our records because none of us are, are good enough to mix on records. So we always get Jay Rustin to mix our shit. Mm-hmm. He does a great job. But, um, you know, in order to do a record, the irony is like right now is a great time to do a record because nobody's doing jack shit. Right. So mm-hmm. Go in and record, but we just don't really have the money to do it because there's no touring to pay for it. And um, you know, it's so funny because you listen to like fans online, and they're like, you know, where's your new shit? And everybody wants new shit, and everybody wants free shit, right? So yeah. <laughs> It's amazing how demanding like audiences have become. Like I even experience this on a small scale. Like, you know, you post one video of something and then people are suddenly like think you're taking requests. Like I'm just sitting at home working for you for free all the time. <laughs> just like at your beck and call. It's it's interesting. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, not everybody's like that. There, there are some fans sure. that are like are hardcore and I have to give them props because they, they will, you know, they'll buy everything and they'll support you in every way they can. But then, you know, the majority of people under 39 years old have been have been um, brainwashed to believe that all intellectual property was meant to be downloaded for free. And yeah. <laughs> Public domain. <laughs> so, um, you know, and they're all just waiting around for you to entertain them like you're a fucking monkey. Hey, dance for me. Yeah. It's pretty horrible. But, you know. I guess you have to, you know, as a musician, I keep thinking of, a, I'm trying to think of a way to, to get all the musicians to pull their heads out of their asses and leave, um, what's it called? Apple Music and um, Spotify. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like take the power back because there's literally one dude who owns Spotify who's, li- who's, who's got 32 billion fucking dollars. Yeah. And he's just a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Who went, hey, I'll make these guys, this, these record companies sign a contract with me and we'll get all the money and all the artists will be broke for the rest of their lives. And, you know, I know, I, you know, there's probably people that are hearing this going, man, fuck Satchel. He doesn't want to give away his music for free. But there, there will be a day when nobody will be making music anymore. And you're in the period right now where it's all dying. Well, hold and- on. We should, we should explain it to people because it, it, it's something, people have devalued music and in fact... I'm sure, Satchel, I'm sure you've seen this. There's been a whole generation of people that maybe have never even bought a CD or a cassette, and it's actually resurging where people are going back and buying vinyl. Like, go figure. Like, what are eight tracks coming back? And yeah, but the the point it's more of I'm, a novelty though. It's not like it's but the, any but big we, numbers. We thing. have a whole generation that has not ever purchased a record, possibly, and now they're trying to be in bands, and they're like, how do you do it? And you're just like, nah, you don't, you don't. You, you find someone who's rich. You find like somebody who doesn't. And even then, like, good luck. And that's the problem is that <clears throat> I think that there is going to be a resurgence of the music industry and the value on music because I think people are finally realizing that, like, they do want to uh, pa- uh, patronize their the bands that they like. They do want to get the album. Like, 
people are discovering, oh, vinyls are cool. You can see Gene Simmons' face, and it's pretty big. And, like, wow. Like, you have to turn over a side. Like, and they're rediscovering something that's so <laughs> redundant and so obvious. But it was taken away because they never – if you wanted a song – Five years ago, you just go onto YouTube and you type it in. When we wanted a song back in the day, you looked through the record bins, you found the imports, you mm -hmm. like knew a guy and you high speed dumped that shit while his mom was in the other room, and then you're like, damn it, I got I got the the the, the who record that like no one had. And, and I remember when you buy the single of the record just to get the B-side to hear the thing that wasn't on the record, nobody cares anymore. Right, nobody cares. Don't care, and, and that's the thing. Like, there may, there's probably going to be some people that will that will, you know, buy buy vinyl. Yeah, but that's going to be a very small percentage of people. I just think that the culture is not going. We're never going to we're never going to go backwards. Yeah, we can't put you know Pandora back in the box. So, <laughs> literally, are, we're always going to go. We're always going to go. Uh, you know, there's always going to be people that. Um, are going to appreciate music. There's always, but it's going to be smaller and smaller. I think in general, as a culture, we're just at that point where, you know, we, we have devalued music so much and, and all intellectual property to some degree, like, you know, I'm sure the movie industry doesn't think this is going to happen, but it's going to happen to happen to movies too. As a matter of fact, Warner brothers just announced that they were going to start releasing their theatrical releases and putting it, making it available on streaming on the same day. So it's like, that's going to ruin, it's going to put all theaters out of business. Yeah. And hey, welcome to our world, you know? I mean, I remember the, when there was a fucking Tower Records right down the street, and there's no place to buy records anymore. You just... You so to, do you do you think that, that the onus is on the musicians and, and our end to adapt and try to find other ways of creating, you know, livelihood with that? Because like you said, it's not going back. I think, I think that, you know... You know, listen, we're, we live in a world full of unions. I mean, the reason why there's no kids in fucking school right now is because of unions, it's teachers' unions. It puts so much pressure on the government that there's no fucking kids in school. There's no danger to kids because of COVID-19, but there's no fucking kids in school. Tell me that's not fucking stupid. Um, and that is only because of teachers' unions. So don't tell me that teachers' unions aren't fucking powerful. If musicians were smart, and I know that's not <laughs> brought to you by the oxymoron of the week. <laughs> musicians are notoriously dumb and they they always go for the shiny shit. People want musicians want fame so badly that they're willing to give everything that they have away for free to have a million followers on Instagram. And yeah. then they end up with nothing. And so everybody's given all of their money away to literally to some goofball Swedish dude who lives in a, he's got 40 fucking mansions and yachts and he just fucking fucks hookers all day. And he's, he's living the life and, and yeah. every artist on the planet right now makes one penny for every 2 billion streams or something. It's something ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. And that could change in an instant if all the artists went, hey, wait, fuck this. Let's all yeah. take the rights back and we'll let people stream, but this is what we want. Because all the advertisers are just giving him all the money. And yeah. giving everybody else the money. And all the, art all the artists are bending over and getting fist fucked by Hulk Hogan. It's so interesting that you say that because, yeah, you're right. And I think we're just now starting to see kind of the burnout of people like, let's say, the influencers or the people that have turned to social media and giving stuff away for free. Like, I've just started noticing with people even that I follow, they're like, you know what? I'm so fed up with this. Like, I admit, I've just given everything away for free for the last five years and I'm sick of it and I'm not doing it anymore. So we'll see maybe in the next year. There was a point where I remember and, and Satchel, I'm sure you were at this. And this was before even any of this happened. When people used to burn their own CDs and you would beg people at shows just to take them and you'd find them in the trash. You wouldn't even just say, hey, take my MP3 for free. You'd be like, I actually burned this CD and even put the sticker on myself. <laughs> and then you'd go and you'd be leaving. You one of those CD stompers to put yeah, the Yeah, a CD on. stomper. <laughs> and you're walking out. And then you see this, like, this little blue thing with just the perfect like 15 minutes on it just sitting outside the trash can. And you're like, oh, 
up. But that's because there was a point where not only was it so devalued, they went from paying bands a ton of money to so little that we basically, just if you convince people to take the time to listen to you, nevertheless, pay money to hear you, yeah. that you'd be excited. You're right. Well, and because time, time is val- val- valuable, right? So time is money too. And this is another reason why um, people, you know, the, you know, Spotify gave away, they gave away all the music in the world for $10, right? So that sounds like such a great fucking deal to everybody that basically they go, oh, this is amazing. I'm, I'm spending $10 on all the music in the world. But wait a minute. I have an almost infinite amount of songs for 10 bucks. So I'm not going to listen to like a hundred songs in a month. Fuck that. That's, that's Mm -hmm. a shitty deal. If I'm going to spend 10 bucks and I have access to 40 trillion songs, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to as much as I can. So you find that people will, they'll listen to a half a second of a song and they'll go, Nope. And they'll fast forward and they just keep fast forwarding. And nobody wants to listen to more than three seconds of a song because they feel like they're wasting their time because there's another song that's waiting to be listened to. And it's this, it's this catch 22. You can't, you're never going to be able to hear it all because you don't have enough time on this planet. And so people keep on fast forwarding and then they've never listened to an, an entire song. (laughs) That's the irony is like, you've never heard all of Benny and the jets all the way through. (laughs) Unfortunately, I, I sadly, I have. Um, And in fact, uh, even the even more uh, unfortunate part is it's, I've heard, it not all the way through most of the time because it's usually just someone yelling, "Benny!" as they walk by me drunk, and <laughs> and and then they act every single time as if I've never heard this before. Like, oh, because my name's Benny, or like Benny Goodman. Oh, did you know you have a famous name? Oh, well, my name was also Barack Obama. So no, I have no idea that my name was someone else's name. No one's ever said that to me ever in my entire life, <laughs> ever. Just so you know, and rant. Okay. Well, anyway, to switch gears, since the show is about Satchel, <laughs> as, as interesting as it is. Don't you I, know I'm a narcissist? <laughs> Everything's about me. Right, so, Satchel, no. so enough about me. Let's talk about you. So what do you think about me? <laughs> That's a David Lee Roth quote, by the way. David, David Lee Roth, dude, he, he was the lead narcissist. <laughs> there are many narcissists in the music world, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but I wanted to, but speaking of, you know, the music industry and, you know, people thinking that they can replace whatever live music CDs with just sitting at home on your computer. What's interesting to me about Steel Panther is the importance of the live show and how that's such a, like an integral element of how you set yourself apart from so many other things. So maybe if you could just for listeners that may not be familiar with you or your show, if you could talk a little bit about the synthesis of that, how that became such an important element of your brand and of, you know, the, the whole overarching idea of Steel Panther. Well, I mean, you know, we, we, we've been around, a lot of people don't know, if you don't know who we are, we're, we've been we've been putting out records for about 10 years, but we, we formed, you know, actually we did our first show in, in 95. So it wasn't Amazing. long after heavy metal died for the first time. You know, <laughs> we were like, this is, we should put a heavy metal band together and bring <laughs> heavy metal back. Because it was really only a couple of years before that, that Nirvana came out. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody went, oh, fuck long hair. hair. We're just going to, you know, let's not, let's not use hairspray anymore. Let's all just walk around with flat hair and, and, and let's not wear shiny clothes anymore. I mean, it was, it's so funny because looking back at that time in music, it was, you know, um, Alice in Chains and Nirvana and all that stuff was, it was heavy metal. It wasn't like happy. It wasn't like, you know, Trickster or something like that, but it was, it was still heavy metal. And, um, um, but there was, oh, you know, for us, when we started in, in 95, we were, we were just a cover band and we went on stage. I think we did our first show in Vegas. And, um, you know, like a lot of working musicians, if you're in a cover band, um, the goal is to be good enough so that you can go back to your gig next week yeah. and they continue to pay you a hundred bucks a night or whatever the fuck <laughs> it is. So when we stepped on stage, it was just, um, let's entertain these people and, um, you know, the goal, the whole goal from the beginning was let's just be entertaining. And um, as, as a band, as a group, we we found that from our first show, we were really, really entertaining. And, and um, we didn't have to try very hard. But but, you know, just like um, two class clowns in a in a in the, in the fourth grade, 
you know, me and our lead singer, we sort of always wanted to one up each other on stage. And, and so it became like this, um, you know, a little bit of a competition as, as to who could be funnier and who could be more entertaining. But it was also teamwork because we were we, we were a very from the beginning. We've always, always been very entertaining. And honestly, like, you know, we always did residency gigs for the first 15 years of our career. So we were doing Hollywood every week, you know, on the Sunset Strip. And if if the crowd started to wane and it wasn't sold out, then we would get scared. It was like, fuck, how are we going to pay the bills? You know, like, so we would always, you know, every week it was like, you know, we would see a lot of the same people there. And it was always, you know, how the fuck are we going to entertain these people? There's people that have been to this show a hundred times in a row and we can't do the same show every night. So it was really like, it was great to be on stage and play in front of a lot of the same audiences every week after week, because it, it made us really good at um, being in the moment and being good at improv, improv and, and uh, working with each other. And, and uh, of course we were a cover band, but it was, um, but it, there was so much on stage banter and, I always felt really proud as a band when when uh, we could just talk about anal sex for fucking 40 minutes without playing a song and people were just fucking entertained and yeah. on their face and nobody's screaming for another song, you know, and I, that to me was like the definition of success. Like, here I'm, you know, I was a guitar player and a musician first, but I'm able to entertain these people with my band for a half hour and nobody wants us to play more music. Maybe it's because we were so shitty at the music part. <laughs> Could you guys get away with doing an entire set without playing a note? Yeah, we, we did. I mean, we, we usually <laughs> always open up the set with a song and then we would go into, you know, whatever we were doing. But, but uh, it, it just became a circus. Like, you know, every show there was things that would happen and um, people would talk about it and they would go, Oh my gosh, you got to go see this band. And they would bring people the next week. And then before long, it was just like, it I mean, it literally turned into 13 years straight on the Sunset Strip. I don't know if any band has ever done that before, but, but uh, it was, you know, at, at some point, you know, during that run, you know, for me, it was like, oh, this is great. We're having a blast. It's awesome to be able to do gigs for, for money. But, you know, I'm, I'm also a songwriter first. And, and uh, I, I thought to myself, gosh, I've got, you know, other bands that I do original music with, but why don't I just turn this fucking thing into an original band? Because, you know, we've got a captive audience. These people love us. They're not going to go anywhere. If, if we, you know, if, if we do it right, we could, we could really get a lot of fans. And for me, the goal was like, how do I write songs that, you know, capture the vibe of what we do on stage and do it well? Like, you know, cause I want to, I want to be able to write songs that are, that capture, you know, how gratuitous we are in our humor and and uh, how 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 politically incorrect we are with our with our humor and all these things. And so that when somebody can't go to our live show, which most people have never seen us live, but they they can click on a video and they can get a vibe of the band. Like if you click on a glory hole video or, or Asian <laughs> one of my personal favorites I, we listened to that today yeah hilarious amazing you'd be like holy shit like what the fuck is this I, I like this you know and if it's up your alley then it's up your alley and if it's not then you're probably never going to go see us but but you know we used to just have to rely on people telling their friends about us and they would have to just come out and take a chance and you know the, the crowds got bigger and bigger but I think having records out there that that represent us the way we want to be represented that helped build the brand. And then of course, once we put our first record out like 10, 10 or 11 years ago, um, that, that started to, you know, the crowd started to grow exponentially in Europe and Australia and all over the States. And, and, um, but there's still a lot of people that only know us from our records and they can't wait to come see us live for the first time. And, and when they do that, when they do, it's like, Holy shit. Like, this is even better live. And, and for me, it's like, yeah, that's what we are. We're a live yeah. band first. We always have been. And, and even though I'm very, very proud of our records, I love what we do on our records. And I think we make great sounding records and they're definitely not for everybody, but they're shit that we like. So, yeah. and I think that's how everybody should do records. You should do records that you fucking love. And 
if nobody else likes them or if they're, and there's always going always to be haters, right? That say your shit sucks. And we get a lot of them. And those people can all suck my fucking balls. I don't <laughs> like a lot of the people that hate us the most have never even listened to us. They just, they just look at us and they go, I fucking hate that guy. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that Nikki six could even hear you guys after all this time? Because I've been to a Motley Crue show and you could tell that they can't hear each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. They definitely don't listen to each other. I'm saying, but can, can you, can, do you think he can actually hear you? Cause I've been seeing, and like, we'll just talk about this. There, there was like a tweeting battle. Yeah, I don't know anything about the Twitters or anything like that, but like I love when people are talking shit because it's, you know, whatever. Like it shows up in my Google feed because it listens <laughs> to me. Well, it listens to me. It knows I said satchel. It knows you like, like controversy. Right. But it also, I say like Steel Panther. The next thing I know, it's like, you know, Michael Starr pissing on the Alamo to up all. I, but then next thing I know, I'm like Motley Crue's throwing, throwing fucking shade at Steel Panther. And it's like, here's the funny part. For me, and, and and Satchel, you could tell me, it the, the the accusation of a lot of the metal world is that you are a joke band making fun of what uh, they do. When the truth is, you guys are the most serious musicians writing <laughs> unbelievable songs, and that Motley Crue, for example, are a joke as far as musicians. And if you listen to Livewire and can't wince now that you've heard what actually being on key sounds like, because, I mean, it's been ruined for me as a musician, now that I'm a musician, going, how could these guys be shitting on, on this band when they can't even play themselves? And don't get me wrong, shout at the devil and all. It's metal. It's fucking awesome. But no, do you no, know what I'm saying? Sam, listen, I, when I was 12 years old, I think I heard Motley Crue for the first time, and I fucking loved it. And their records are great. Shout at the devil. To me, it's their best record. It's a great record. Um, they've got a lot of great songs. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're, they've always sucked live. Uh, you know. <laughs> Vince Dale cannot sing. And he, know, he, he knows that. Vince doesn't, I don't think Vince has ever watched a video and went, yeah, fucking Neil that. <laughs> He's a great singer. But again, that, that doesn't fucking matter. I mean, to me, listen, Molly Crew is proof that you don't have to be a great singer to have great songs and to resonate with people. That's why there's so many Motley Crue fans, including myself. Like they suck live. I still go up, I see them live and I'm still like, that sounds like shit, but yes, it's a great song. <laughs> it's a great fucking song. And they've got some great songs. Now I personally don't fucking care whether Nikki Six or Tommy Lee thinks that we're a joke band. I don't care. Those guys probably have never taken the time to listen to us. And I, and I, again, I don't care. That reflects more on them than it reflects on us because those guys, I think, stopped giving a fuck about anything but themselves 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Like they're rock stars, right? And if they took the time to listen to us, they'd realize a couple things. A, all of our songs are really well-written songs. B, yeah, we joke around a lot and we're very funny, but our songs are fucking awesome. I would venture to say that out of five Steel Panther albums, we've got more great songs than they've got on their fucking albums. We've got that many good songs. Um, we don't... 17 so, good ones in a row, at least. You gotta fucking... Listen, there's, you know, of course, we're getting into subjective territory here, but, but there's a lot of great Motley Crue songs, but there's some shitty ones, too. There's some shitty ones, too. And... But, you know, listen, Motley Crue, they, they, they deserve credit for writing the great songs they've written. Um, it's, I don't give a fuck what those guys think about us as a band. I do think it's funny that they, that they feel the need to um, go head to head with us sometimes. We're going to win every fucking time. I mean, listen, it, if those guys have ever listened to us, we're a way better band live than them. And we'll we'll beat them in a in a battle of the bands any day of the week. And I will totally um, if Tommy Lee wants to fist fight me, I'll I'll clock him. <laughs> well, well, what you said is super important that at the end of the day, you're making music that you think is awesome and that you love and that that's really all that matters, because inevitably, like you said, there will be haters and people are going to criticize you. Um, yeah. But but going back to something you said before, um, you know, I, I find it interesting to go from, you know, being a cover band to writing original songs. And I'm wondering from your perspective, was there any like fear or hesitation about maybe losing part of your audience or seeing a change in the audience that came to your shows based on, you know, going from playing songs that they knew from other people to actually writing your own music? 
Well, I mean, when when you're a cover band and you and you have a, an audience as a cover band, like we did, like we would pack places out everywhere we played. Um, yeah, I mean that that's always something that you think about. Like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna try this song out, you know. Um, but but that's also you know from the beginning it was like obvious that we couldn't just try to do an original song that was a normal rock 101 stupid you know cliche trite heavy metal rock song mm-hmm. you know it had to be Asian hooker or fat girl or or community property it had to be something that was fucking hooky and funny. And everything that we did, we were doing already because the shit that we were doing as a cover band was all hooky. It was all it was all the hits. It was, you know, jump and fucking, you know, still of the night and fucking twisted sister. And, you know, and Bon Jovi, it was all the fucking hits from the 80s. And it's shit that when you're in a cover band, it's easy shit to play. Like, oh, we want to get the crowd riled up. So we're going to play Sweet Child of Mine. OK, Woo! Sweet Child of Mine. It's so easy to fucking play Sweet Child of Mine if you're a cover band and everybody goes nuts. But it's really, really hard to play an original song if you're an original band, no matter who you are, when you don't have a following yet. Like just to get on stage and go, I wrote this song. I wrote a song. I want you to hear it. Please don't judge me. But, you know, when you're when you're Steel Panther, I mean, we had already, you know, just being a cover band, you go on stage and you basically... You know, we used to have to win over audiences all over the place and go on stage and like people wouldn't even know we, who we, we were. It was like, you know, we'd play a fucking movie premiere party and everybody there, we were a new band too. So you have to go on stage and just go, you know, look at girls and go, hey, what's up, bitch? I'm going <laughs> to ass tonight. I mean, like people were, whoa, whoa, that guy just said he was going to fuck my wife's ass. <laughs> he told my wife he was going to fuck her ass. Like, and... You know, like we would just, we, we, you have to be so confident in what you're doing that you can literally like, you know, there's video of me, like Kelly Clarkson is at our show. And I just look at her and I say, I want to fuck your face. And she's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, fuck my face. Like, fuck my face. I know you can do it. <laughs> when, you, when you're that confident, like, like the audience, you know, that, I think that's a good lesson for anybody in any band. Like, like whenever you're playing new music, you just got to go. You're going to fucking love this. And if you don't, I'm going to kick you in the balls, motherfucker. Do you think that when Kelly Clarkson sang a moment like this, that she was thinking about fucking getting her face fucked by Satchel in, in the middle of a Steel Panther concert and just going, this guy has so much confidence and so much muchismo that in front of 2,000 people right now, I'm going to let him fuck my face. Not a doubt in my mind. She thinks about that every fucking day. Is that why there's a key change? <laughs> Probably. That's when they start. You start fucking her face, right? Oh yeah, that's when she. That's when she gets it up the up the shitter. Ah. Uh. Oh my gosh. Well, so it, it seems like this concept was really clear from the outset, though. Did so when you when the you formed the band as a cover band. Did did all of you go into it? I mean, first of all, how did you all meet? And and you know, did everybody go into it with kind of this common understanding that it was going to be something more than just your standard like cover band rock show? That there was going to be this intensity and comedy. And was that like something that was there from the beginning? We, we had always intended from the beginning that we were going to entertain people and be funny and, and awesome. And, and um, I mean, we picked, you know, honestly, we picked, like, I knew, I knew our singer before we did this band and, and he's the, he's the best fucking front man on the planet. As far as I'm concerned, there, there's, he's like got all the best attributes of every great front man vocalist he's he's a great singer he he's like david lee roth if david lee roth could sing in key like david, <laughs> david lee roth could never sing in key i mean you can you i mean like, i'm not saying that to be a dick it's, a, it's just like vince neil vince neil sounded you know as good as he could sound on the record well it's like ozzy osbourne too like you know because now ozzy literally can't doesn't sing a single note in key <laughs> Well, like, he just walks go, off stage but, yeah, but, but, but you guys actually so you go see uh steel when i saw you guys last You've done a review, and you and and uh, Michael Starr, your singer, um, does an Aussie imitation, and it's so first off, so fucking dead on. But the thing is, it's like you know, people are like, oh, oh what happened to Aussie? But it's like you go back and watch like anything from 1982, like he was bad then, and even if you listen to like some of those Sabbath songs, like he had the power and the voice, but he still was. No one walked in and said, 
oh my god, that guy should beat out Glenn Hughes to be in Deep Purple. He always sounded like Ozzy, and when you listen to those records, it's like one of those things where you find out like your dad's not the smartest guy in the world. You're like, oh my god, Ozzy and David Lee Roth never were actually that good. The guy that goes, give me something to write on, like really wasn't a trained vocalist. <laughs> I mean, you know, in Ozzy's defense, there was a, there was, I've seen him do some great live shows where he actually sang really good live, but he is up and down. I will give you that. Like he has his moments. I only with, saw him once, like and recently. even in between, yeah. because I've seen him where he's been totally terrible. And then the next tour he's come back and he was like, is this a backing track or is this actually <laughs> Ozzy? I mean, it's, it's clear. It's obviously Ozzy when he's, when he's off. He's yeah. That's <laughs> But yeah, David Lee Roth is ne- like he's. I don't think he's ever had a good night. But you know, but that also shows you like it doesn't really matter when your songs are great. Like Van Halen's songs were fucking great, and and their records were great. And David Lee Roth is was so entertaining that it was amazing. But but back to back to Steel Panther. Like you know, I knew I knew Michael before he was in our band, and and he was the guy. I was like, we need a singer for this band. He is the guy that I call. And of course, he he jumped at the chance to work with me, but um, it was, it was just going to be a cover, a cover band from the beginning, but he was, he's such a great singer and such a great front guy. He honestly, you ever see that fucking movie free solo? I don't think I've seen that. No, the Mount, the climb, the mountain, rock face one mountain climbing video. Yeah. I climbs El Capitan with no rope and he just goes up and he climbs 3000 feet with no fucking rope and he doesn't fall to his death. And kind of spoiler alert, Jesus. Disappointing. <laughs> you want to see him fall, but but that's like that guy's missing a chromosome or some shit, and he's missing this the center of his brain that is the fear center. And for our singer, he's got he's that guy can go, he's got no humility. He just will go on stage, he's got no pride, he will do anything to fucking entertain people, and he's a great singer. And once he comes on stage, you can't take your eyes off him. He's so fucking great to watch. And so he was the guy to pick. And of course, Lexi Fox um, was the guy for the bass. And he's always been ama- amazing. And uh, and he's a solid bass player as well. He plays exactly what needs to be played. And and it, ironically, you know, you know, we, we ended up getting um, Sticks of Dania a couple years down the, the road, but I had worked with him before too. And and he's just a great, solid meat and potatoes drummer. He's awesome. And um, ironically, though, like there, there was only, you know, for me, like I started writing songs later on, you know, because I thought, oh, this would be a great vehicle for, for you know, an original band, you know, and, and we could turn this into something really amazing. But um, fortunately, I'm, I'm really the only guy that writes prolifically in a band because I think, I think sometimes that can be a thing where, there's three songwriters and everybody wants to fucking go a different direction. And then you, you end up uh, breaking the band up. But for us, it hasn't been an issue. So everybody knows where they, where they are and everybody pulls their own weight at what they do. And, and, um, and everybody respects everybody else's place in the band. And, and uh, it's, you know, as you guys know, it's not easy to keep bands together. It's not easy to, to get along a lot of times because you're dealing with egos and shit so like that. So that's one thing I wanted to ask you. You guys have been, you know, together for a really long time and, and doing the original music for, for the past decade or so. Um, and obviously no touring this year, but you tour a ton. How do you guys manage that as a group? Are you guys, you know, tight? Or, or is, is there, like, a point where you guys, it just becomes like, all right, I'll see you guys on stage. I'm like, fuck off, you know? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. You know, it's funny that we were talking earlier about about, you know, us being a joke band and Molly Crew being a, a, a real band, right? They're they're a real band, and and we're we're a bunch of jokesters, right? And, which we are. We we don't take anything seriously, and I think it's a good way to live your life because if you get too serious, you turn into fucking Nikki Six, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, like you know, Steel Panther is a band. Like we're like every other band. Like you you have to deal with three other dudes or four other dudes, whatever it is. You have to learn how to communicate and respect each other's opinions because you're not always going to feel the same way about things. And for us, we, we learned, you know, a long time ago, how to communicate, how to, how to talk to each other and how to respect each other, even when we disagreed. And when we go on stage, we always feel like we've got each other's back and we've been on tour for 25 fucking years now, which is probably, we've probably done more shows live than Motley Crue has. 
and and we still enjoy being around each other and we still love each other and we don't throw each other under the bus you know like Motley Crue does to Vince Neil when they kick him out of the band shit like that so in in a way even though we're we're a joke band like a band like that we're a much more real band than than a lot of bands because we've never fucking broken up we've learned how to continue to work with each other and continue to do shows for years and nobody's gotten pissed off and left nobody's fucking quit nobody has fired somebody else nobody has replaced the drummer or the bass player or the fucking anybody and there's not four different versions of our band out there like there is with fucking rat or or some there are a lot of bands a lot of heavy metal bands there's like 18 versions of fucking Queensryche out there that nobody fucking cares about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I, you know, from the beginning with Steel Panther, I always said like, you know, the most important thing that we can do is stay together no matter what. That's what, you know, that's the only thing that matters. We keep on playing together and we stay together and we don't break up because what we have is special and we have a chemistry and think about all the bands that had, had something special and then they just fucking said, fuck you. And they, and they all broke up. Van Halen was together for six or seven years. And then, and then everybody spent the next. Well, you, you bring up a really good point because when you go see you guys live, and this is something that I absolutely love. And we say this on a lot of shows is that energy transfers. You guys walk out on stage and you have a shit eating grin on your face. From the second you get out there, you could see that uh, Michael stars, like looking over, like, like ready to go. And from the set and when you guys do well, you do your shtick, if you will. It's different every fucking night. You're feeding off a crowd, but you give each other, where I talk over everybody on the show, and like I'm completely narcissistic and egocentric. You guys, like, you'll, I'll see you back off the microphone and go, okay, no, Michael's got this. Or no, this is a sticks thing. And you guys will play off of each other, and that synergy, it's, it's, it's natural. You can't fake it. With something with like David Lee Roth, David Lee Roth was awesome in the 80s, because first off, you believed he could fuck your girlfriend because he, even if he couldn't sing, he still had that swag. And even though he's, he's saying completely out of time and not that well, he, he looked like it didn't matter and they were just so fun and Eddie was so frenetic and the band was so good. But when you go and I saw them in 2007 or 2010 or whatever it was. And obviously, first off, I love Wolfgang, but you know, Michael Anthony not being there, I have no problem with Wolfgang, but it's, it, it was weird. But David Lee Roth, just the guy smiley, like dancing in place, talking about his dog, and you don't believe him anymore. The suspension of disbelief that maybe he could leave with the girls backstage. The hundred dollar bet that if they got the the backstage pass, David Lee Roth was gonna pay you if he banged the chick. You don't believe that anymore, and that's where because, is this story? Going? No, the, the story is is that even when you saw a band like Van Halen, who was amazing, they were all great, but they, you could tell they didn't like each other other than sometimes, and it affected the music. Whereas every time I see Steel Panther, you guys have such perfect timing, and there's something you just said that you encapsulated what it takes to be in a band for 25 years, is genuinely liking each other and knowing when the right time and the right place to push up and, and support your friends, because it's not just about you doing the guitar solo, it's about making the drum solo just as good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, we, we like, like, we're very different people. We, we, we don't agree on everything, but we all do respect each other. And when we go on stage, I mean, listen, before we do every show, we always sit backstage and we do this thing called a check-in. We all sit around and everybody gets to talk and talk about their day, whatever the fuck's bothering them, just so everybody knows, like, how everybody else is feeling. Because, you know, when we're, when we're on stage, we have to try to be a, a team. And sometimes, you know, especially when when you're in Steel Panther and it's not just about playing together. It's also about being, you know, really entertaining people and, and everybody wants to, you know, we, we need to work together and it's like, you know, we're like a comedy troupe up there, you know, we're, we're up there trying to entertain the fuck out of people. And if you're just in your own world and you're not listening to your other guys, then, you know, shit is flying by you too quick and, and you're going to miss the moment and you're going to miss the punchline every time. And there's going to be, you're going to miss all the entertaining shit. And, and so we need to go out there and there's a lot of trust involved. It's like being a, uh, it's like being in the, you know, the Walinda family or something, you know, you get, you got to know that if you fucking, if I throw a punchline out there and it fails, somebody else has got my back. Like it's, 
it's a, uh, if I fall off the tightrope, somebody's going to be there with a fucking net for me. So I don't have to. I thought I was the- live without a net. <laughs> oh, what, what was that? I said, I thought I was supposed to be live without a net. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's always a little bit of a net involved. <laughs> has tracks. Sammy didn't need a net. <laughs> Well, the great thing about like a Steel Panther show is, especially on tour, you know, and whenever we get to see you, is you walk into that room, you walk on the stage, and everyone is in on it. They're they're with you, and you're walking into a room full of people that are already primed. And so you look around a Steel Panther crowd before you guys come on stage. No one's like pissed off or unhappy. Everyone's like, I can't fucking wait to like get shit faced and listen to the show. And I just never seen uh, you know a frown at a Steel Panther sh- show, <laughs> except for maybe someone's like like a girl's boyfriend who sees her on stage doing some really horrific shit. But other than that, you know. I mean, I think it's it's ironic. We we started like 25 years ago for real, and but now I feel like it's even more important that we continue to do live shows because now nowadays you know we've become this this place where people can go and everybody who knows about us knows that it's a safe place to be able to, you can go there and laugh at politically incorrect shit. Are you like the cheers of bands? Cheers of bands, you know, everyone knows your name, Satchel. They do. They literally say, Hey, do you know who our guitar player is? Do you know who our drummer is? Sticks. Ironically, you know, that's, that's, that's true. Like, you know, how many bands are out there that play that have radio hits that you don't even know who the fucking guys are in the band? You know, you're about to say bass player. And I actually did a <laughs> test the other day. It's true. I, I went around asking people if they knew who Bill Wyman was. No one knew Bill Wyman plays bass for the Rolling Stones. I asked, I asked, hey, man, I don't know if it's Larry Mullen Jr. or a- Adam Clayton, but that's the drummer and the bass player for you, too. I'm with my buddy. He's like, oh, everyone knows those guys. No, they don't. They don't. Like, that's why I- I'm actually going to do a series with my neurotic guitars called Bass Players That Matter because, like, Steve Harris, Steve yeah. Harris matters. Nikki Six, even though he sucks in so many ways, matters. He matters in so many. He doesn't even play bass well. He kind of bl- he breaks the mold though. Everyone knows Nikki Six. Well, but and Gene Simmons also. Again, not the greatest yeah. bass player, but he matters. You know what I mean? So like, that's the thing is, so few people realize that uh, it's really Keith and 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 Mick most of the time. <laughs> I, think, I think that's definitely one of those things. Like you know, for us as a band, I mean, we we definitely we picked our you know. The, the route that we were going to take early on because, you know, when, when, when we started doing records, it was like, well, shit, we're not going to do shit that's going to get on the radio. We're going to do shit that is what we do on stage. So we're going to write songs like Batgirl and Asian Hooker and, and uh, Community Property and Death All the Metal. I mean, Death of All, I mean, I, we never thought we would get a record deal. And then when we did get a record deal, it was like, I, I have to give it up for Universal because the first song that they released was Death All the Metal and the one there's a line in the song that says, you know, kill those fucking fuckheads who work at MTV. They can suck my ass with all the record companies. You know, that's the first. <laughs> of the, of the, of that's the, amazing. And and they released it, and it was it's pretty cool. Like you know, that's uh, and that's how we felt. Like fuck it, we don't need fucking record companies. We're gonna do whatever the fuck we want. We never expected to get on the radio, but that was also when you choose that route as a as a band, you are basically saying. We're going to we're going to get a following on our own and it's all going to be word of mouth and we're never going to get played on the radio. And that's fucking fine with me because fuck the radio anyway. Like when you're on the radio, if you even if you have a hit, it's like everybody knows who you are. All of a sudden you're really popular for a month and then you're fucking gone. You're gone. I mean, I can't even tell you how many radio bands that are that, that have gotten a shit ton of radio play all over the country. They can't sell out the fucking house of blues in Chicago or LA. They can't do it, but, but we can, because even though it took forever to get there, our fans went, we're going to go back every fucking time because we love steel Panther. They're our new band. But when you're a fucking radio band and you're just the flavor of the week, people forget about you as soon as they learn about you. So it's, it's a good thing to have, you know, to pick your route and go, we're going to fucking get fans that get what we do. And we're going to do something that's not typical. And when people hear it, they're going to fucking know that this is 
not like anything else. And when you hear Steel Panther, it's not like anything else. That's true. I, oh, no, I would, not to interrupt you, but I love what you said earlier when Benny started his story that, you know, you what's important, too, is that your, your concert, you're creating a space where people can laugh at stuff that is politically incorrect. And especially in like the cancel culture where people are like walking around on their tiptoes, being afraid of saying stuff or laughing at the wrong thing. I feel like that's so powerful and like so liberating for so many people. And that, you know, that, that really is a testament to how important creating that space is, you know, because obviously people show up for that, too, having that experience. Yeah, I mean, I really, it, it's, it is big. It's becomes a really, uh, it's a sense, it's a source of pride for me when I see people in the, in the audience and they're, and they really do, they feel very comfortable. And, and, you know, if you've ever been to a Steel Panther show, you know, there's black people, white people, old people, young people, women, men. I saw somebody actually crowd surfing in a wheelchair. Yeah, we at it. a Steel Panther show. It was literally the first time. So, so your old manager, and I say old because he's actually old. Paul Geary um, <laughs> is a good friend of of, of ours, and we, he literally he's like, man, he's like, I've seen a lot of things. I mean, he has because he's been like, I've been here for a long, long time, and he's worked with a lot of people, right? But he literally said, I've never seen this, and shows me on his phone a dude literally going across like a house of blues. In a wheelchair, and then everyone has smiles on their faces. But this guy isn't like holding on, like I'm going to paralyze something else. Everyone, else, he's like, "This is the best thing that's ever happened," and everyone's like, "Dude, we're giving him that make a wish moment to go get closer to Satchel and, and Michael Starr." And I said to myself, like, the camaraderie—it's it, so awesome because one thing about metal that, like, I feel like has been lost is when I was in high school, if you wore an Iron Maiden shirt. And you're walking around, everyone's wearing their Dave Matthews band or their Abercrombie. You saw your dude in your Testament shirt. You smiled at each other. You gave each other the devil horns. You're like, we'll play Dungeons and Dragons later. It's cool. <laughs> you know, you're like, we'll not get laid and drink peppermint schnapps behind it. And we did all that. And now with like metal, I feel like there's this whole culture of like, we're better than you. We're heavier. We're blah, 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 blah. But it's Steel Panther. It's like, dude, you like Motley Crue? Dude, I like Whitesnake. Dio... How could you not like Dio? And you guys, it's just a bunch of happy it's one big people family, excited. Right? One big family just going, you know what? Death to all but metal. <laughs> Fuck everything else. We're coming up to the end of this episode. We, we got to dive way deeper, though. We got we got another uh, another one coming around. You want to wrap this one up, Ben? Okay. So another one bites the dust because our bass player has finally sang, apparently. <laughs> and Satchel knows the importance of a bass player telling us what to do. I'm not as pretty as Lexi. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is also true. But that said, I just want to say thank you so much to Satchel from Steel Panther, one of the greatest guitar players on this Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been 2020. Stick around for later this week because we'll actually talk to Satchel about things that matter just as little as everything we just talked about. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.